You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your spoiler season host, Mason, and I'm joined by my exclusive preview card co-host, Trey. Hey, uh, happy Baker's Dozen. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Joke plays from last week into this week. That's right, yeah, this is the extra donut of podcasts. That's always what I wanted on my reviews. You know, you get like the little billboard sign, like the extra donut podcast. Like if I saw that on the podcast, I'd be like, dang, I got to get that. (laughs) No, but we've got a pretty exciting episode. It's spoiler season. We've got a lot of sweet cards that got released over the week to talk about. But first, we can't forget our sponsors. So let's hop into that and hop right into the cards. Briefly before the sponsor, I want to say, as the extra donut of podcasts, Mm -hmm. if you've never had a donut without a hole, you've never had a whole donut. I'm not editing out any of that. You should. Leave it in there. All right. I'm happy about it. Good. I'm happy too. And you know who else is happy about it? Goblin Char Bargains. Love them. Best turn one deals on the web. That's right. Uh, hello, fellow Magic competitor. If you're like me, and I think you are, you really packed it on this holiday season. But now, it's a new year, a new start, and you're ready for a new year. But the difference is, you really mean it this time. Really. But trying to get hashtag MTG fit can be overwhelming. Do you feel totally lost? Do you hate the crowd scurrying to the gym at the start of the year? Then you need the MTG Fibble Fib. From Goblin Char Bargains. It will help you get back on top of your goals by putting everyone else on top of their libraries. The MTG Fibble Fib from Goblin Char Bargains. Rush out and get one today. I'm personally totally lost. Mm. <laughs> Let's hop right into the cards. <laughs> <laughs> if you got that joke, tweet at Even Odds Pod and explain all of it. And if you do, I'm going to send you something in the mail. <laughs> Alright, so first up we have... So, we should probably mention this. There have been a lot of cards previewed, right? We're recording this Sunday, December 6th, best day of the year. and uh, January 6th. January sorry. 6th. Oof. Time flies. But, so we don't have all the spoilers at the time which you're hearing this, which will be later in the week. So, keep that in mind. We only had the first week of spoilers, but a lot of cards got previewed and there's a lot of cool cards to talk about. I think this is a good segue before we do our actual set review. Right, yeah. We're still going to be doing a set review uh, episode, but, you know, we were going to look at talking about something else, but, you know. Uh, if you're like us, and we think you are, all you want to do is talk about new cards, right? Like, because that's all we've been doing for the last week, and while we were trying to think of another topic, we're like, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about new cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't punch a gift horse in the mouth. That's what my mom always you says. You shouldn't punch a horse at all, gift horse or not. If the horse doesn't bring you a gift, that's rude to just punch it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. It's very entitled. <laughs> do you know what's not entitled? Prime Speaker Vanineth? I believe is how you say that. Uh, is not Vanity Fair? Prime Speaker Vanity Fair? <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> oh. So for two blue and a green, you get a legendary creature, Elf Ooze Wizard. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind for your tribal decks. 2-4. With the ability of tap, sacrifice another creature, search library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to 1 plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield and then shuffle your library. Activate this ability the only time you can cast a sorcery. This is Birthing Pot on a Stick, right? Mm-hmm. What's a Birthing Pot? It is a card that did the exact same thing uh, from New Phyrexia, but it was an artifact. It's very powerful, and it's banned in modern, if you haven't played it before. So this kind of effect we know can be really good. Trey, what what do you think about this card just before we go any further? I think it's okay. Uh, I'm not really excited about this card. Mm-hmm. You know, it's weird, because normally when you look at, like, effects that have, like, you know, spell effects that are now on a creature, right? Mm-hmm. My general thought is that, like, that's an improvement. 
right? You're like, oh, creatures are better than spells in a general sense as far as like, okay, well, if I'm not doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, at least I have creatures. But it's weird because like with Birthing Pod, like I feel like this is like a strict downgrade because Birthing Pod was an engine that was difficult to interact with because it was an artifact, right? And so like if you didn't have specific hate cards, like you just were getting ground up every turn, every turn, every turn. Here, your removal, which is what you're going to be using on the creatures anyway, like affects the engine card. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, like, it's weird, like, putting Birthing Pot on a body as opposed to being an upgrade, we're putting most, like, spell-type effects on a body as an improvement. Like, I feel like it's a downgrade for Birthing Pot. Yeah, and also, because Birthing Pot had Phyrexian mana as part of its cost, it technically costs one more. Right. right. Like, you were willing to pay the two life a lot of the time with Birthing Pod. That is a huge difference. Four Toughness is not a whole lot, actually, in this format. It's good at blocking creatures, but bad from the spells, the way it lines up. Right. I mean, yeah. Lava Coil is, like, the, the go-to removal spell for a lot of decks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a result of that, like, Four Toughness doesn't mean what it used to. But, Brad Nelson once said, I can tear down any card. So I'm going to try and focus on the positive of this card, because I'm kind of with you. I'm not seeing a whole lot. What I do know is, is that Birthing Pod has a powerful effect. And I'd be foolish not to look at this and think about it more. Right. I mean, Birthing Pod was good enough to get banned, right? Like, so that's a thing for people that weren't playing at that time. Birthing Pod dominated the modern format so completely they banned it. Exactly, right? So that's something to think about, too, because and also just looking at any card, if it looks like a worse version of a bannable all-star card in their formats, it's like, well, if this one card's like a 12 out of 10, and this card's a worse version of that, how much worse does it have to be before I don't want to play it? Right, does it go from a 12 to an 8? Yeah. Because you would play an 8 out of a 10 card, like, anyway. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so this does hit on an important thing. This can be a trap, and I know it's a thing that I was just talking about, because you have to get that out of the way, right? Like, we have to compare this to Birthing Pod because it's Birthing Pod, right? Yeah. On a body. But once you get that out of the way is that, like, we can't evaluate this card like Birthing Pod. And to do that only is a trap, mm-hmm. because... This format isn't a birthing pod format, right? Like, we have to evaluate this card within the context of which it's going to be available and which it's going to be played. And the, the truth of it is, is that Prime Speaker Vanity Fair, there is no there is no comparable effect to this within Standard. Yep. And that there hasn't been an effect like this in Standard for a while. And so, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be interesting to see what else fleshes out. Like I said, I'm not presently super excited about it, but it's something that I'm going to try to keep an eye on. Because if the pieces line up, this is something that, you know, has the potential to break a format. It really does. Also, the things that I want to look at are ways to abuse it in, like, a combo sense. So there's a way I can, like, cheat out something that's very good with a combo that I can then buy back the other piece to, right? So, like, squeeze the uh, Goblin McNob, whatever, right? The Immortal? That's right. The Immortal is the one that's in standard. Currently? Whatever. There's a squee, and if it's a squee, it means you can cast it after you stack exactly. it. Exactly. So squee plus this, very good, right? Like, you get a four drop, and then you can recast your squee and get more four drops, right? So there are a lot of really powerful four drops between these last two sets. All the color, 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 color. Right. Like, blue, green, blue, green, red, 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 red. Like, those cards are very good, yes. and I can search for all of them. So that's something that's interesting with this. Also, giving this thing haste is very important. So there's an enchantment that didn't make the cut for the cards I want to talk about here, but basically it gives all your creatures the ability to have Riot when they interplay. Yes. And Riot's a keyword, and we're going to kind of talk about keywords as they come up here. So what Riot says is when a creature enters the battlefield, you can give it a plus one, plus one counter, right? Or you can give it haste. That's like your option. And this card gives it to all of those cards. Right. So you can play that on three, this on four, and then activate it immediately. If you do that and have something that's worth getting that then has haste as well, and it can do something, you can kind of have a crazy start. And that first card I mentioned isn't the worst ever. Right, yeah. yeah. It's the, basically the new Fires of Yavamai, huh? Yeah, it kind of is, right? right? And also, it anthems non-tokens when they attack, too, yeah. I think. So Yeah, and so with this, like with Birthing Pod, like the key thing to that when it was a card mm-hmm. was that you had cards that you were okay with sacking. 
because they either had like persist or some other ability that would make them come back, or that they left tokens behind, or they or did, won the game. Yeah, or they did they did something when you sacrificed them. Right. There are a lot of cards like that in standard right now, and including with the mechanic that's being spoiled. Right. Like the new mechanic for Orzov is afterlife. Right. And so afterlife is when you sack a thing, it leaves tokens behind. And so as a result of that. You've got half of what you're looking for for this type of effect generally right now in standard. Because you've got four drops like Conclave uh, uh, Cavalier Mm -hmm. that, you know, you sack it, you get the same amount of power back, right? And so you're not losing out on the cost of activating this thing. And then you're upgrading to your next creature. So then the next question comes, are you going to have enough things that actually push your game plan forward or have come into play effects or things like that, right? Because that was the other half of the old Birthing Pod decks, right? Mm. Like you had things that you wanted to sack and then you had come into play effects or powerful things or combos that like you wanted to push forward to. And so we have half of the pieces of that right now. And there are some things that are still there, right? Like there's the Orzov uh, four drop that comes into play and your opponent like uh, discards a card and you gain three life. There are some things that come into play and do stuff. Golgari Feinbroker is a big one. Like if if you sack a good three drop, right, that you're like not super happy to, like let's say Gruel Spellbreaker, that's a good three drop. You get Feinbroker, you get it back. And if we have the other thing, it's like this has haste, play this. Give it a plus one plus count on this riot. Next riot, I'm going to give it haste, hit you. Yeah, so there are some pieces there that can make some things happen with this. But, you know, that's a lot of heavy color combinations to try to figure out. But this also lets you cheat that a little bit, too. But it's just going to be whether or not those pieces are there. Those are the kind of things that you're going to want to look at if this is a card that's of interest to you. Yep, and I, I will say that I love that they printed this card because they had this kind of deck that people loved. And then they just couldn't play it at all. And it's like, hey, this isn't going to be as good as Building Pod in Modern, right? Like, most right. likely, like, it's going to die to more things, and it's going to be a turn slower every time. But if you loved Birthing Pod, here you go. You know, I still have as a commander, which I'm happy they printed it. You know what I'm uh, interested that they printed, Trey? What is that? Rakdos, the showstopper. Will, oh. Will you read this for them? Yeah, so Rakdos Showstopper is a legendary creature demon, uh, which is not surprising in the Rakdos. Uh, it is a red, black, and four. It is Flying Trample. When Rakdos, the showstopper, enters the battlefield, flip a coin. For each creature that isn't a demon, devil, or imp, destroy each creature whose coin comes up tails. Uh, it's a 6-6, six, six, and it has great flavor text. It says, entertain me. So <laughs> this is the Nirvana card, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about this card? Because I have some opinions on it, but... It's weird. So first thing is, is it seems like a Hearthstone card. <laughs> like, uh, I don't want to, and I know we're not supposed to say that on the Magic Podcasts, mm. but like, this is like the most Hearthstone card I've seen in a while, right? Mm. It's like, come in, randomly blow up a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so like, just on its face, like, 6-6 six, six Flying Trample for 6 is a pretty good rip. It's not pushed. It's not like, you're not like, oh my goodness, like, that's not incredible. But like, that's not bad either. Like, paying 6 mana for a 6-6 six, six Flying Trample is like, that's that's a fine, like, kind of vanilla rate. But it's not, like, something that's overly impressive. And so then the second part comes down to, like, okay, is this effect going to be powerful, right? And it, part of that's going to depend on what is the popularity of other Rakdos decks. Like, because if you play this and it's just a bunch of other Demon Devils or Imps that are in play, like, it doesn't really do a lot. Like, you're just getting kind of a vanilla creature. And then the other part of it comes down to, like, what are you going to do if it's not that? Like, how good is it going to be? The dream of, like, one-sided wrathing your opponent is not going to happen as often as you think it is. That's true. I think I think you said a lot of things that are very true. Here's my take on it. And this isn't me trying to be overly positive. I think this has a real chance of seeing play. If, specifically, you have, like, a black-red mid-range deck that needs some way to end the game and has a weakness to going wide. So this card is very good and very annoying at, like, selecting a token. Like, if they march for five past the turn, and you're like, all right, I'm going to enter this. And like, well, I can't march in response. On average, they are going to lose about half their creature, which can be important. So, yeah. I, like, if there's a reason, like, if there's a deck, like, I don't think this card goes into a deck. 
but I think it has the potential. I think like Brian Gottlieb from Game Podcast and the podcast mentioned this. It's like a card that you put in your binder, and it's like when the weekend's right, it sees play and it'll do its job. It does have a feeling of a sideboard card. Yeah. You know, like it's not a thing, like it's the thing that could be a liability main deck. You know, but then, you know, we talked about it a second ago. Like the fail rate of it is it's a 6-6 six, six flying trample. Yeah. Right? Like on the time when it doesn't do anything else. And so if it's an environment where that's good enough, then it'll see more play than what it is that we're thinking. You know, things have been pretty fast so far in the standard environment. It doesn't look like they're going to slow down that much. So it's going to be whether or not that secondary effect is actually something that's good. Last thing I'm going to say, I want to move on from this card personally, is it is very good against the Niv... Well, it's very good half the time against, like, the Niv-Mizzet style. <laughs> right? That, like, play Niv-Mizzet and then protect it with, like, a dive down and those kind of effects. Because this gets around Hexproof. Which is important. It's good against Carnage Tyrant, Niv-Mizzet, yep. all of those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, against the green-black deck, it trades with Carnage Tyrant if it doesn't beat it on the flip. And probably gets rid of, you know, like a Wildgrowth Walker. That's reasonable. I have one thing that I want to say on the end of this card is that it's really good at stopping shows. Very true. Also unbeatable unlimited, probably? Oh, yeah. Total house unlimited. Okay. Trey, this next card is the card you wanted to talk about a lot. So, here you go. Yeah, so this is uh, Wilderness Reclamation, which is a green and three nonsense enchantment. Which says, at the beginning of your instep, untap all lands you control. Whoa! Yeah. This card is an uncommon, but I think that it's going to have a potentially huge impact in standard. Would you say the effect's uncommon? I'll allow it, because I made a terrible showstopper joke. (laughs) Yes! But we promise that all of our jokes won't be just saying the thing that the card is. I do not make that promise. (laughs) Right, but so... You know, this is an interesting card. So normally this is the type of thing where just like, okay, you play something in your main phase and then you can have instant stuff later, right? Like that's the type of thing that you would normally see in a normal play pattern in a normal set with this card. I think that the reason that this card is exciting is because of the cards that are available to us from what we've seen already in Standard and from what's available to us on what's been spoiled already. And that's because uh, we've got two things. One, we have a new mechanic, Addendum, which is the Azorius mechanic. And what Addendum is, is it's a it's an effect that's on instance and basically says if you cast that instant during your main phase, you get an additional bonus effect. It varies based on whatever the card is, but, you know, it might be like a, a draw spell that lets you scry and then draw if you cast it during your main phase. That's essentially the way that it works. So it incentivizes you to play your instance at sorcery speed, but it also then leaves them as instants to possibly be cast at a different time. The other thing that we have access to right now is big mana payoffs that are instants. And that's not something that you see very often. Most of the time, your big mana payoffs are enchantments, creatures, you know, sorcery, something like that. They don't normally let you do stuff during your insta. But now, with this, you have the possibility to ramp to 10 mana on the turn after you play it by just tapping mana in your insta, or tapping mana uh, at the beginning of your insta with this trigger on the stack, then untapping your lens and tapping it again. And so you have access to 10 mana on turn 5 for instants. But we have multiple 7 mana instants that have huge effects. There's Nexus of Fate. There's uh, uh, Overwhelming Insight, which is the draw seven. Uh, I think that's a sorcery. uh, No. Oh, is it really? It's an instant. I'm pretty positive. And then uh, you also then get the... It's a sorcery. It's a sorcery. All right. Well, then there's the new one. What's the new one? It's uh, the blue-white card that's... uh, Oh, yeah. The addendum one is... The addendum one is an instant. Right. It's a draw seven. The draw seven, yeah. That I don't know the name of. (laughs) Uh, I believe it's Apex... No, it's uh, Emergency Powers. Emergency Powers. Yeah. And so you have these two, like, really powerful, like, instant speed huge mana cards, which would normally be something that's difficult to play, but like this with nothing else. Like you can just play this on four, and then you can cast those cards on turn five, like with nothing else. The fact that you can start chaining nexuses, or you can start like, you know, just drawing seven cards off of emergency powers and putting a Teferi into play or something else, like is extremely powerful. 
much less just the other things of like cast something during your main phase, have counter magic up past the turn. Low end of things of what you have available to you. I would also say one idea, like one thing that you didn't mention that kind of blew my mind is we have the card Expansion Explosion. Sure. That card is a good one to have on 10 on turn 5. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, it will kill any Planeswalker and draw you enough cards. And, like, you're going to have to discard a good number of them. Like, you draw 6 off that, so you're going to discard some, but that's fine. Well, yeah, not only just that, but, like, the combination with the other cards. You have 10 mana on 5. So, yeah. like, you can cast one of those 7 mana instants and copy it with Expansion Explosion. Yeah, well, you, if you could cast... Oh, no, you can't. You can't. Yeah, expansion yeah, yeah. But, only but, copies but if fours. you had a 4 mana instant you wanted to do as well, right? right? Like, on later turns, you could do this. Right, like Chemisters yeah. or something else like that. I, I want this card to be... I think this card's interesting, and I think it has the potential to be good. I have a feeling that... So, Brian Gottlieb has been really pushing for this, like, turbo fall, uh, turbo turns. Turbo turns, turns yeah. yeah. You don't really fog. You just play the addendum card with this, and then you... Nexus a whole bunch, right? Because you have so many draws, and you just kind of go through it like that. I think that is a really interesting way to play with this card. I have a feeling that that's very powerful in Best of One on Arena, and I feel like it's very not good in 2 out of 3. And that's the problem. Is I think these kind of strategies specifically are really fragile, and are very bad against the card Negate, Spell Pierce, Duress, which I don't leave home without one of those normally. So, like, for me... I have a feeling that this kind of card is something that I know a lot of people are afraid of. Right. right. Like, oh, for sure. I, I've seen a lot of people. I've seen people say this is like they're going to be the worst standard format ever. I'm willing to bet Porkin's favorite chew toy that that's not the case. He loves that toy. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, that's how confident I am. I'm willing to put it on the line. Right. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Like, what's going to happen with this card overall in the end? We don't know. But things that cheat mana, things that fundamentally break the rules of magic, are things that are really dangerous and things that can have huge effects. But at the same time, like, it's a four mana enchantment that the turn you play it, you know, you still have access to four mana. Right? If it resolves, it's free. Yeah, that's right. There also, too, you, you talked about Spell Pierce. There are more Spell Pierces being played right now in Standard than at any time I've ever seen. It's a very, very heavily played card, thanks to Drakes and Mono Blue and things like that. Like, it's everywhere. I think that this is a card that has a, a pretty big, pretty big impact. Like, because normally you could never play a card like this because you like the turn you play it, nothing happens. But, like, the idea that you can play this card on four and if it resolves, you can still do stuff that turn or on your opponent's turn. Is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it's definitely a card worth looking at. So, what's the next card? I think that this is a card that you might have some things that you like to say about. Oh, I'm in love. This is <laughs> Judith the Scourge Diva. She's one black red for a legendary creature, Human Shaman. She's a 2 2. Her abilities are other creatures you control get plus one, plus zero. How given. Yes. <laughs> and whenever a non token creature you control dies, Judith the Scourge Devil deals one damage to any target. Very important to any target part there. I want to start there and I'll work my way backwards on this card. Okay. Because normally cards like Judith say do one damage to like each opponent or to target opponent. And that's what Judith will do a lot of the time. You'll suicide some creatures in, they'll trade, and you'll be like, all right, take two, pass the turn. What Judith does is, because she also gives plus one, plus zero, she allows one ones to attack into three three or X threes. And if they kill your one one, which is very easy when it's a one one, you can kill those X threes. That's just like the beginning of all this. It combos off to the point where if you're attacking in, blocking becomes very, very hard. Because if you attack in and they make bad blocks and they think like, oh, this creature's going to live, this creature's going to live. It's like, no, actually, because these other two creatures died, these other creatures died. Now I've kind of snowballed the board advantage. Not to mention the fact that it does go face, it does go to Planeswalkers. Like, if you're trying to take up your Teferi, it's like, attack in at you, right? Your Teferi that, like, let's say one, he's at the minus on my experimental friends. It just is like a random, right? It's like, well, now I've lost Teferi. Right, like Judith does a lot of things along that nature. She also doesn't play well with tokens, right? Because she says when non-token creatures die, that's the only ones that give plus the do one damage. 
But because she's also a, an anthem that isn't tribe specific, she works very well with tokens. So she's like a card that like pushes you in a weird direction to have a lot of creatures, and it's okay if some of them are tokens because they're going to get bigger. And tokens like to be anthem. You don't get the full effect of Judith off tokens, but if you have creatures like Goblin uh, Investigator, I think the Goblin one. Instigator, Instigator, yeah, yeah. the one that makes a one one. You have you know four power of attacking right on turn three, and then when half of it dies, it deals one. Right. And then before I pass over you to get your thoughts. I will say Judith's Legend Rule works, which I know is a weird thing, but basically this is a legend you can play four of in your deck, because you always want it like on three in the deck she's in, and then when you play her, both Judiths die and see each other, so that gives you like essentially a shock. Fail state, when you have multiples of her, she becomes a shock. I know sounds incidental, but it's huge when the, the shock is like a better shock, right? Because it can get like a double ping, they kill off two creatures, they can kill an opposing Judith, it can do a lot of things. I think Judith has so much going on. That and I think she, I I'll say this I think she's one of the best cards in the set I've seen, like pretty easily. Yeah, I, I think the card is is very interesting and very powerful. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the the any target, especially early in the format, is a thing that people are going to play so wrong because it seems like it's not a thing that should exist. Like it seems like automatically it's just going to be a face. Like it seems like that's the only thing that it can do, and it's also going to be a thing that happens with it a lot. And then people are going to line up blocks and they're going to do it wrong because they're not going to realize you can pin creatures with it. There, people are going to pick it up and read it and do it wrong. It's counterintuitive to what you expect a Rakdos card like this to do. Like, you just expect it to hit face when a creature dies. Because that's what, like, all of magic up until this point has pretty much taught us. And that people are going to get it wrong, and you're going to get a lot of value early in the format as a result of that. Imagine you're playing against Boris Agra right now. They have a Vinalish Marshal, you attack into their history of Benali with a couple creatures, right? My creatures are going to live and or trade, right? Or these, uh, And then you're like, okay, I lose four creatures... Ping your 2-2, kill your Benalish Marshal, the Marshal dies, that thing dies. Right. Like, that's the thing that happens, and will happen with this card. Because because of its ability, it will kill creatures that aren't even involved in combat if you, like, block too much of it, and if you don't block enough of it, then you're pushing damage. I, I think Judith is the card that I'm most interested to build decks with, and Trey, this is a huge part of this card we didn't even talk about, because I, I don't know how to build it. Is aristocrat-style decks. Judith is like a better blood artist at times. Oh, for sure. And, you know, the, the pieces aren't there yet that we've seen, mm-hmm. but there are some pieces dancing around for an aristocrats-type deck. And if the rest of that comes together, this is going to get really interesting really quickly. Because if you can just, like, set up machine guns as opposed to just pinging your opponent, it's going to be crazy. Just crazy if you can actually get an engine going with it. But, you know, what this card's going to do a lot of the times, too, is it's going to have on your early turns, it's going to basically give your creatures unblockable. Because people are going to want to avoid the activations in order to try to save their guys. And they're going to reach the point in the game, because this has always happened with cards like this. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to take a couple of hits, take a couple of hits so that I don't have to worry about this. And it's like, well, Judith is still in play, and now I have no good options. I can't take the hits, I can't block, I can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. That That's 100% true. Judith also gives you protection against, like, half the board clears in standard, right? Like, it doesn't beat Settle, but it beats Star, it beats Clarion, right? Like, it... it it doesn't, I guess, beat them as a strong word, but it punishes them. Yeah, I lost my three creatures, but at least I killed, you know, your thing that was supposed to live, or I, like, hit you for two and killed something. So that, those are all important parts of Judith. I think if there is an Aristocrat's deck, Judith will make it even better. And I think there's even more to this card, and I could talk about it all day. Like, its combination of Fanatical Firebrand's very powerful. Like, it just, it has so many small little things that when you really dig in, makes the card insane. If there is an Aristocrat's deck, a type of deck that could have this and Midnight Reaper, that you're, like, sacking creatures to ping a thing and lose a life and draw a card, like, you can start to really create some crazy engine stuff. You really can. And I'll, I'll say one last thing before we leave here. Judith also triggers, uh, what's it called? Uh, speculation? 
the Rakdos mechanic, I forgot its name, it's on my card here soon. But basically, if a, they lose life, you can play cards that cost less. Like, you can only play them for less, right? So there's a card that we don't have on the list here. It's called Drill Bit, right? It's two and a black, and then you can, it thought seizes your opponent. But if they took damage, it's just black to cast. Right. So Judith always triggers those things, because when you attack in, unless they settle you, they take damage from the attack, or your creatures are normally pretty small in the toughness. They'll die and you'll ping them for one, and then you'll get your ability. So cards like the, the Madali Reveler, I believe it's its name. It's a 2-2 two, two that went into the battlefield, you rummage. Or you could, oh, Speculation, whatever. That effect, you can discard your hand draw three cards. So you can Suicide in, right, when you're top decking, hit them for some damage, or play that and draw three new cards, just like Modern Bedlam Reveler. I think the card's great. It's $2 right now, and I have eight pre-ordered. Yeah, so. it's, it's something I think it's very powerful. You know, at least it, it's at least worth mentioning. It is a 2-2. It dies to basically every removal spell in standard. It's It also still does something when that happens. I think the card's great. Uh, let's talk about another card that's going to be, I think, pretty good. This is Hydroid Crassus. This is a Simic card, so it's blue-green X. It's a mythic rare creature jellyfish hydra beast. Mwah. Yeah, chef's kiss on that one. Um, when you cast this spell, you gain half X life and draw half X cards, round down each time. It's got flying trample and hydroid crassus enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. That's what the card does. There's a lot going on here. Um, it's really an interesting. It's a really an interesting thing because you have the draw spell and the gain life spell. And then you have the creature spell and all of this stuff playing together on one card. This is a card that I think is the inverse of what we were talking about with the birthing pod card. This is a card where like being on a body for these effects, I think, makes a huge upgrade in difference. Like Think about this if you're playing a controller type deck or a slower type deck versus like your four drop draw spell. All right. You've got like Chemistry's Insight versus this. On turn four, you can play this and you get a 2-2 flyer that draws a card and gains you a life. Or... You can play Chemistry's Insight, and you just get to draw the two cards. This lets you then play this, and then trade with something in combat, or block and save damage, gain a life, draw a card. But then you have more of them in your deck later on in the game. They scale to continuing to get bigger. And that having something that you're putting into play that's relevant in that way, I think, is huge. You can also play this on your off turns, like on your odd mana turns, and you round down as far as gaining life and drawing cards, but it still grows to as big as you want it to be. And I think that this is a card that you gain benefits from from the game going longer, and that this does a better job of pushing you to the game going longer than other just, like, draw spell cards. Yeah, so here's my thing. And I realized, so we had lunch before this, and we were talking. It's one of those things where you realize, I'm talking about something from one perspective, and you're talking about it from another perspective. But we thought we were talking from the same perspective. I thought when you were talking about playing this card instead of Chemistry Insight, you meant in a ramp deck that would want to draw cards. And you mentioned a control deck there. I do not think this card is particularly good in control decks. I think this card is good when you're playing cards like Securitas Route, Grow from the Ashes, the New Explore, that kind of stuff. And so that might have been something that we miscommunicated on there, because we were both pretty high on this card, but it seems like in different contexts. It's just interesting. I just disagree with it in a control shell. I think leaving your mana up for chemistry inside is very important. But in a ramp shell, this is a card that does the same thing you just talked about, right? In theory, a blue-green X control deck wouldn't, a ramp deck wouldn't mind playing a card like Commissioners inside. That'd be totally fine. This is better. It scales better as the game goes on, and it's a card that can be a 4-drop in your deck. It can even be a 3-drop if you want it to be. Not very good. It was a 1-1 one, one for 3, but you can do it. It scales into the late game where like you draw so many lands, and it help move through those lands, move through those useless ramp cards in the late game, and then make them even more impactful when you draw the next Crassus. It's interesting... From the control side, I think it's not particularly good there. Do you want to? I see what you're thinking about stuff, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, like in a ramp deck, you're going to get a lot of payoff for it and things like that. And I mean, like if you're playing a controlling type deck that has green in it in some way, like mm -hmm. 
that's going to be a different thing than if you're playing like a Jeskai deck or something. Sure, like that's, that. that's a fair point. Right? And so you're automatically, that's probably something I could have clarified better of a controlling style deck that has green in it, mm-hmm. right? Like, because then you're talking about like a different kind of deck than you are like a Jeskai or a blue white. Uh, with this as well, uh, th- having the body on here is a huge, is a huge deal. And I think that it's like a difference, a good way to try to think about it, like with this as versus a spell, is like thinking about the difference between like Snapcaster and Mission Briefing. They do very similar things, but one of them is considerably better than the other one because it's actually a relevant board presence thing, which is a thing a lot of the times, especially with like ramp decks or, or control decks, like you don't always have relevant things that you're playing on the board. And the idea that you can play something that's relevant in the mid game in that way while still moving you towards your overall goal and then can also just completely slam the door shut in the late game is really, really interesting as a card. Okay, I agree with that 100%. I think the next card we're going to talk about is actually a pretty good example of that. Is there anything you want to say about the crisis? I have one last thing I want to, but I don't want to cut you off. No, it's fine. Go for it. All right. I will say this. I can see two things happening with this card. I can see it being a Rogue Refiner-esque, where it's like blue-green decks play this card, and even if they don't have super big mana payoffs, right, it does reward you just for playing the game of Magic, which is something I remember, rest in peace, Michael Hinderocker, Watsy employee now. (laughs) He was really big on when he looked at spoilers. Hinderocker is like, Show me cards that are just good cards, and they reward me for playing the game Magic. He loved Nico Bolas because he's like, this is a 4-4-4 four, four, four that does something, and if I play Magic for three more turns, it's an unbeatable card. And all I have to do is play three lands and not die. Right. right? And so he likes those kind of cards. This card asks a little more of you than that, but not a whole lot more. And if you have a deck that wants to delay game, this is a card that, like we said, is good on the curve. Well, I should say it gets better on the curve. And you wouldn't play, you know, a 4-mana 1-1 that draws a card gains life. You wouldn't play a 6-mana... 4-4 four, four that draws two cards gains two life. You wouldn't do it for eight, and so on and so on. But when it does all those things in one card, flexibility is key in Magic. My other point is, if Magic is... I feel like Magic's kind of in a tempo state right now a lot of the times. Like, we're doing big tempo-y plays at moments, right? Like, we're going Elf into Jaylight Ranger, into, like, Planeswalker into Planeswalker into Karn Shine, right? Like, that kind of stuff. We're doing one drop, two drop, three drop. We're doing Judith stuff, like, in my head. This card doesn't play well in a tempo game plan if you don't have something else to pay off, so I could see it maybe not seeing its play for a little bit longer. I'm going to be surprised. I think you should pick up the card. Well, yeah, it's hard. it's hard with a card like this, right? Because you have to see how a metagame shapes up in order to build a deck that's going to, like, attack it appropriately, right? Because this mm-hmm. is going to be the kind of card that fits into that type of thing. You know, this is a card that scales... Like, in comparison to, like, a Muldrifter, you know, you could play Muldrifter as a Divination, or you could play Muldrifter as a 5-mana Divination that sticks around with a 2-2 body. This one, you get the Muldrifter effect for cheaper yeah. uh, on a smaller, like, keeping the body around, right? And then it turns into, like, a, a Bull Drifter later on in the game, That's right? True. Like, it's yeah. just gigantic if you can manage to get it to go in that long kind of way. And so you have, like you said, this flexible card that can really get a lot of value depending on where it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, having cards like that that scale is something that's really important, right? Like, it's like, well, this is a card that I want on three or I want on four, but if I draw it on, like, eight, it's sad. And, like, this card's just, oh, I drew it, and it's great. And it's fine. It yep. always does stuff. That's very true. All right, let's talk about Deputy of Detention. Before we go any further with this card, we are not allowed to say that we were thankful it was a human because that is the most played-out cliche thing I've heard on the internet, and it drives me insane. One blue-white... <laughs> Trey's looking at me like he hasn't heard this because you don't listen to the podcast. I've heard it a bunch, um, you know, but you've also just been saying, like, why isn't this a spirit for, like, a week and it's been here? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> One blue-white uh, creature of a Dalkin wizard. Uh, when enters, when Deputy of Detention enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls and all of the non-land permanents that player controls. 
with the same name as the permanent until deputy attention leaves the battlefield. It's a 1-3. So it's the tension sphere with two big differences. It's a 1-3 and it only hits things they control. So for example, if you had a Adanto's first four on both sides, your vampires will stay, only theirs will leave, which is a, a big difference because the tension sphere in modern you would sometimes bring it in the spirit smear to hit your own lords that have were underneath their ex, uh, their hexproof. So big thing there to kind of keep in mind. So better at times, worse in weird corner case scenarios. This is an example I think of maybe the opposite of what we talked about with Snapcaster Mage mission briefing, where like when people were talking about mission briefing, I was really low on the card because so I was like, he, I watched people play Ambush Viper in, as their Snapcaster Mage, just a two one flash all the time, and it's pivotal to the card. And part of what makes Snapcaster Mage so good is it always two full ones almost right. Like, you trade it in for something and then get another card. It's great. This card is more vulnerable as a 1-3 that will die and then get their thing back than having it be the Tension Sphere, which is an enchantment, which is hard to interact with. That all being said, I think this card is very good, and the fail rate on creatures is so low. Like, when I think as a creature, like we said a lot of times today, and it's a big important part, they still just attack and block, which is important in most games of Magic that are, like, not played on all spell access. And even then... They pressure your opponent because they probably don't have a lot of targets. Trey, what do you think about Deputy of Detention? I don't think he's good as the Sheriff of Sphere, but, you know, it's, uh... <laughs> I wish everyone could see Mason's face right now. He's very upset. <laughs> the only thing that made it worse is if you said that, and I was glad he wasn't a human. Do you, do you, know, do you know how uh, good this card would have been in Modern Humans? It's like, every time a card gets printed in the banned colors for the rest of time, people are going to be like, thank god this wasn't a human. Yeah, I'm going to lose it, and I'm going to go on tirades that are not reasonable. I understand I'm not being a reasonable person right now, but I'm also going to say this. There have been humans decks that are just playing Bant cards. They could just play this card. Yeah. They play Spellqueller. They just do it. Listen, don't compare my grade A wordplay joke to your grade F. This isn't a human analysis. <laughs> I'm so upset. <laughs> you have no idea how much this actually angers me in every set review. We're wasting so much time right now. It's just this. We have to move on. I'm so upset. I'm actually frustrated that I, I talked about this much. It's not a human. I get it. <laughs> yeah. No, I do think that this card is. I do think that this card is very good, and I think that it's. I think that it's interesting for the reasons that you were talking about, and I think that it's like it's costed well, and I think its stats are good, right? Like I think it being a one three like makes sense for this card. Um, I think that, that matches up well. It allows it to like block relevantly uh, for a lot of the aggro decks in a way that it wouldn't have been able to if it were a two two, um, which is something that I could have easily see them doing with this type of a thing. So I, I think that this is a card that's going to have a lot of impact and is going to be really good. Yeah, for sure. I think the card's very good. Blue-white seems to be heading in a direction that is more creature-based. And we're talking about a card, like, they're trying to make blue-white so that Teferi just isn't, like... They were very cognitive of Teferi, right? And they're trying to make Azorius, like, a tempo-y creature deck, it seems to me. And as such, this card plays well into that. Right, which is something that fits into um, the next card that we were going to talk about. It also reminds me of Theros Block timing when you had like uh you know blue white gods and things like that that like created a, a type of a tempo deck for that type of a color combination as opposed to like a more controlling deck for sure yeah so let's talk about dovin grand arbiter so he's a blue white colorless um a planeswalker comes in with three loyalty is plus one until end of turn whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player put a loyalty counter on dovin grand arbiter Minus one, create a 1-1 one, one colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying, you gain one life. And then minus seven, look at the top ten cards of your library, put three of them into your hand, and the rest of them on the bottom of your library in a random order. I love this card. 
I think, I'm with you. I think this card is exciting. Uh, I know that it's been really polarizing so far from people that have been talking about it, but I think that this card is interesting and versatile and does a lot of really cool stuff. In an aggro-based like white deck or blue deck, I mean, I guess, but it seems like better to me in a white deck, mm-hmm. you know, you can ultimate this like the turn after you play it pretty easily. Bring it in, you plus it, you attack with some stuff, and then you untap, and you ultimate it, and you get to draw cards. Like, that's a pretty crazy thing to have happen with a Planeswalker. Especially on one that's going to be aggro-based. Yeah, Seth Manfield of Concerned Criticism co-host compared it to a draw 10 when you with your ultimate. Which is kind of true, right? It's kind of like a draw 10, discard 7. Which, which is good. You, you would like kind of play that kind of card. For right? sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that one thing that I've noticed... So with our conversation in our little like group chat, it was very clear to me that we all realized this is like maybe a one of in your main deck, and it's a card we sideboard in versus decks that's going to be good. And I think the problem is people haven't been thinking about it like that. And it was interesting to me because Game Podcast made a big point of pointing out, like, this is a sideboard Planeswalk. Oh, yeah, I just thought of it like that immediately. And that's not the normal way to think about it. So remember, when we're talking about it right now in these aggro decks, this is a card we're bringing in that we maybe have one of in our main deck. And that's, I think, the way to look at this card. Because on its rate, it's probably not there in, like, the aggro decks. But against control and grindy midrange decks, this card is a powerhouse. That all being said, let's keep talking about how great it is. <laughs> in your white decks, if you still play a Johnny's Pride Mate, the minus one makes a body, grows your pride mate, attack in on curve. That's rocking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing is, too, let's take it out of that context, right? Yep. Like, it, it, this is a natural fit for that card, right? This is in a white-based aggro deck that seems to make sense as to what it is. Don't underestimate this card in the control deck. If you've got this deck against it, again, in a sideboard capacity, like in another control matchup or something like that, you play this on three, minus and make a dude, minus and make a dude, plus an attack in, get two more counters on your thing, and you just minus it. It's like it's an engine that just continues to just start working throughout the entire game and can be something that can win a game in that type of a setting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, how many times do you board out, like, almost all your board clears in, like, control mirrors? Like, all the time. And so if you're on the play and they, like, tap out for search for this condo or treasure map, right, which are two very popular cards you probably can normally affordably do, punish, Dovin Bond minus, I have a board now. You have to answer this. Now you're going to have to tap out. And there's no reasonable answers we've seen for three. Right. So it's like, now you have to go into Ixalan binding on four, and if, like, I can negate it, right? I can sinister sabotage that. I can binding your binding, and now you're out of bindings for the match. I still have mine. There's a lot going on with, like, the counterplay of this card in a control setup. And we're not even talking about BBD stuff. BBD has been playing this blue-white control deck that's win conditions are Karn, Teferi, and one Nivis. Uh, I'm sorry. Karn, Teferi, and one uh, Tezzeret. This card can go in that style of deck. This card works very well with Karn. Karn minuses and makes an army. People forget that, but it does. This makes those guys bigger and curves out. You can go three, four, five on Planeswalkers. Yeah, also works very well with Tezzeret in the same capacity. Yeah. Like, make artifacts, draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, if you go minus on uh, Dovin Bond Pass, right, they do something. You play Karn minus, minus your Dovin Bond, right? Your Karn tokens are three, three, you have two, one, ones. On the next turn, you have to play Tezzeret, draw two cards for zero, make another Karn token, take up and get some loyalty on your uh, Dovin Bond. That's good. Yeah. Like, like that's obviously like Magical Christmas Land almost, but you are building up a board presence and it's going to be hard for them to attack into you in other controlling decks. Yeah. And if they're like tapping out to try and answer your Dovin Bond, I'm like, all right, I'll play my Dovin Bond now. Like, all right, I'll play my card and I'm threading your Dovin Bond. Those kind of things do happen. Right. It's interesting to have a situation like that where you have like a, an actual super friends combination of planeswalkers that have synergy with each other. Yeah. Right. It's not just a bunch of planeswalkers that are out there, but they do actually work together. And so while this is a natural fit in an aggro deck as a way to just get a lot of value, it also is something that fits into a controlling shell, which is, I think, makes the card really interesting. Yeah, on the Constructed Criticism, they compared it to the slowest spectral procession of all time, (laughs) which is, like, kind of true, but the fact that it gains life is pretty relevant, I think. 
And it's weird because it's like Spectral Procession that if goes unchecked becomes Bitter Blossom, which is a weird comparison. Like, and that's only when you don't have other creatures in your deck. But when you're an aggro deck and you're playing against like a grindy mid-range Jun or Green Black deck, right? And you go one drop, double one drop, one drop, two drop this, right? Like, it threatens the ultimate. And I think the ultimate, especially, a lot of times people say, oh, you ult dove and mod on turn four and you draw the card. No, you just have it sit around and make some more thopters and then you like ult on turn seven, right? When you're like out of gas normally and that's when they stabilize and you're like, grab history of Benalia, Benalish Marshall, and Negate, right? And you're like, all right, perfect. Play these things, go. We're big fans of Dover and Bond. I like this next card a lot, too. Yeah, we're going to talk about two more cards, and we're going to end it here. Scar and Hellkite. Three red, red creature dragon with Riot <laughs> flying. Uh, and then it has, so Riot, we talked about earlier, is so the plus one, plus one, or haste. And it's a four, four. It has three and a red. Scar and Hellkite deals two damage divided as you choose among one of two targets. Active this ability only if Scar and Hellkite has a plus one, plus one counter on it. So it's a dragon that, if it's a five, five, you can spend three and a red to ping two things or shock something or someone. I think this card's very good. It's also just a 4-4 haste on 5. Glorybringer, part of its power was like it killed something when it attacked two, but against control decks, you just needed to pressure them. So I, I like this card a lot. I don't know about you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a long tradition of 4-4 haste dragons being very good in standard, right? Like before Glorybringer, it was Stormbreath Dragon and bef- that, and then it was Thunderbreath, uh, Thundermaw Hellkite, right? Like, uh, which is bigger, but like, Whatever, five mana haste dragons are things that have been very good in standard in a lot of different iterations, and I can't see any reason to think that this is going to be any different. Yeah, I agree 100%. I don't have a whole lot to say, except the, hat, the dragon's wearing a hat. I think it's very powerful, and I think it's very good in Ben Weiss's big red deck. Yeah, and I like to assume that instead of breathing fire when it does its damage, it's throwing its hat at you, and then it flies over and gets it back. Oh, yeah, it like throws its little horns, and it, st- it sticks you one in one, and then yeah. it like flies in, swoops you up, and puts its hat back on. Clutches it with its little claws, and then it puts it back on. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like a weird dragon odd job for anybody that knows old Bond movies. He like, mm-hmm. throws his little hat, and then he goes and gets it. No odd job, mines only. All right, <laughs> Frilled Mystic. Uh, Frilled Mystic is green, green, blue, blue, for a creature elf, elf, lizard, wizard. Oh, that's a tongue tire. <laughs> Flash, when Frilled Mystic enters the battlefield, you may counter target spell to 3 2. This is one of the newest cards that got swallowed before we went up here. What do you think about this? I'm so excited about this card. This is a, a Mystic Snake type card. Uh, Mystic Snake was an old card that was a 4 mana when it enters the battlefield counter 2 3 as opposed to a 3 2. And it was a snake instead of an elf, which is a pretty big change. This is awesome. Same kind of thing that we talked about earlier putting a spell effect on a creature is awesome. Like, if you're a, a Simic deck, and you've got this in your deck, and your opponent is attacking in, and then casting some type of trick, or doing something, and you can flash this in, counter a spell, block a thing, very powerful. Very powerful. I love this. Big, big tempo swing. Yes. Very, you know, like, if our birthing pot was at instant speed, this kind of combination would be very powerful, too, right? Going back to earlier, it's a good thing that that card isn't instant speed, or our squeeze return to this, and that'd be devastating. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, if you can get into any types of things, like, you know, if you're playing a deck that has Blink of an Eye and things like that, then you can, like, play this, counter a spell, and then they do something. You can, like, Blink this back to your hand, counter it again. You could, like, block, Blink, flash in, counter. Like, there's a lot of different kinds of tricks that you can do with a card like yeah, this. Yeah, you can flash in, counter, block, trade, Gregory Feinberger, bang back, Blink of an Eye my Feinberger. There's like, a lot of nonsense that can happen with a card like this, yeah. and it's exciting. Yeah, that that's a lot of dirt on what I just said. But I think this card is pretty good. And I, I'm going to sell you hard on this one. Legacy. <laughs> That's a tough sell, considering Mystic Snake is already in Legacy and people aren't playing it. Small mind, young Padawan. Do you know why people don't play Mystic Snake? Because it's not an elf. Because it's not an elf. Do you know what card elves have? 
Wirewood Symbiote. If you can afford to, like, play some Cavender Souls, play some Trops, right? This kind of card with Wirewood Symbiote gives you a chance against, like, combo decks and stuff like that that are like, on the slower end while also having a way to grind people out. I'm not saying it's a surefire lock, but it's really close. And I was skeptical at first, and then my friend Hess was talking about it, and I was like, all right, I kind of see where this is going. And the more I think about it, I'm like, this could be a thing. Hess, hashtag Elfmaster. Elf, Elfman. Yeah, it's certainly being an elf makes it relevant in that kind of thing, and, you know, humble brags I can afford to play drops. Wow. <laughs> it didn't need to be a socioeconomic thing. <laughs> it have just been a, what, I can't... <laughs> What's but, worse, that where it wasn't a human? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I know what is definitely not worse, the network. That's right. Yeah, so that's going to do it for talking about the cards. Let's talk about the network real quick. We're part of the Constructive Criticism Network. We're one of many shows. So if you've only heard this show because you found us on Twitter or from local Nashville or from a friend suggested, right, check out the other shows in the network. Constructive Criticism is hosted by Spencer Howland, Seth Manfield, Hall of Famer, Platinum Pro, and MPL competitor, and then... I said Manfield, didn't I? Yeah, okay, you, yeah. you gave me like a stern look like, did I? Then I was like, no, I messed up again. Uh, and then John Stern, uh, Gold Pro, very, very good. He's played so many pro tours. He's insane. Uh, they talk about big stuff in Magic every week, kind of like we do. A little bit more serious there. Uh, then we have Common Knowledge, focused only on Popper, right? And then we have Homeward Path, right? It's focused more on like the dad life. And then finally, I forgot last week, I'm sorry, John. It was Hive Mind. It's an MTG talk show. It's bi-weekly, so sometimes I forget about it. And it's new to the network, too. He's had so many amazing people. And he now has Tempo Storm sponsor player Jeff Hoogland come on. He's had uh, The Professor. He's had, like, the Command Zone people. Like, he's had so many awesome people in the MTG community. So if you really like talk shows, you know, I would definitely suggest out the hive mind. Trey, let's say someone wants to tweet at you and tell you how wrong you are and that enchantment is going to ruin magic as we know it and kill magic. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TreyMC, and uh, you can also find me slinging around on Arena as a slower, S-L-O-R. Wow, the Arena plug! Yeah. Holy moly, time in, check out, where are we at in Arena? Who's higher still? Uh, I don't know, I'm Plat 1. Ooh, Plat 1, how many wins? Uh, one after the losing streak of last night. Mm, plat 1, four wins. Someone stays ahead, I uh. see. <laughs> Every week on the podcast, gonna bring it up. Uh, you can find me and tell me about how great I am. At Mason E. Clark on Twitter. You can find me on twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook and all those other places. And I guess, I mean, the other, other place you can find me is the Proven Combatants uh, Patreon only side of the episode. So I'm there too. I never really mentioned that, but I help with that show. Uh, and that's going to do it for this week. So thanks for rolling with us. Fantasy naming is hard. I've read a lot of novels where there are terribly named characters like Whiskey Jack or an unpronounceable group of consonants. And that's difficult to read, but Magic has done an amazing job over the years of creating a deep and interesting mythos with awesome recognizable names without feeling like silly or crazy or like dismissive. I'm excited to look at the new spoilers for this set, and the first card that I'm going to look at is... Judith the Scourge Diva? Judith. Wow! Okay, Judith. You named a card Judith. Judith is not a guild leader. Judith doesn't run the Rakdos. Judith is like a, it's not like a weird blood uh, uh, diva thing. I don't know what's going on with Judith. Judith runs a weekly bridge game at the Senior Center and always has hard candy in her pocket. What's next? Todd the Is It Dad Bod? Come on. Wow. Okay. Thanks for rolling with us. 